0: going to get her done. Look at your neighbor, say, get her done. Get her done. done. Well, let's get her done. Let's turn to Joshua. I think it's the sixth book in the Bible, back towards the beginning. And we're going to go to chapter 5, begin reading in verse 13. Joshua 5, 13. I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. This is just after the Israelites under Joshua's leadership had crossed the Jordan River. Uh, when they got on the other side into the Promised Land, um, God commanded them all to be circumcised. Look at your neighbor, say, "Ouch!" <laughs> they were all circumcised, and they were, they were, uh, you know, in that pre, that pre period before they actually shouted the walls of Jericho down. And in this passage, we see Joshua is near the walls of Jericho. He's scouting it out. He's uh, listening to God for the plan, as it were. And in verse 13, it says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him. You see, Joshua wasn't afraid. He's ready to fight if need be. He didn't run away from the man with the sword. He ran to him. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? That's a multiple choice question, right? Uh, Are you A or are you B? Are you for us or are you against us? If you're for us, good. If you're not, we're fixing to get into it. So he asked him a question. And in verse 14, it says, so he said, no. That's an odd way to answer a question. The question was, are you for us or against us? And the man, it says, so he said, and I notice here on my text that the he is capitalized. Did you notice that? Is it capitalized up there? He said. You don't typically capitalize the word he there's not a reason behind it so he said no but as a commander of the armies of the lord i have now come who is the the commander of the lord's armies none other than jesus christ what i believe we're seeing right here is a pre-incarnate appearance of the lord jesus christ This is before Jesus had been born on the earth. But you know Jesus was still Lord before that, right? Before he became one of us. And if you look in the Old Testament many times, well, not many times, but several times you'll see. And I believe that Jesus appeared to his creation down here on the earth. And it says he said, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. Now, if it was just an angel, would he allow Joshua to worship him? No. Further proof that this is the Lord Jesus. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped, and he said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? That's the question we're asking today. What is God saying to us? What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. But let's get back to how he answered that question. Are you for us or are you against us? No. The premise of the question wasn't even in the realm of of the truth. And we see that a lot today. People ask questions there's, you can't answer it like that. The premise is not right. Right? That's the way many arguments start today. You're like, how do I answer that? Because if I answer it either way, it's wrong. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, no. I'm not either for you or against you. I'm here as the commander of the Lord's armies. I know my allegiance. Somebody might come to me today and say, Pastor Guy, are you a Democrat Democrat or a Republican? I might say no. Because my allegiance is to the Lord. So today's message is called Worldview. What is your worldview? What is a worldview? It's the framework from which your beliefs and your, from which you interpret the world, the way you interpret life, the lens through the way you view everything that happens on this earth. And the way you respond is because of your worldview, the way you understand. You know, our, our minds have a, are weaved with all this stuff that we've learned from the past and, and so forth. And the way we see God, the way we see the earth, the way we see our existence and why we're here. One time I was in college, and I I was in a speech class. And uh, you know how you're supposed to write a speech, and they say, get your speech ready, and we'll start. Everybody will give their speech before the class. Well, the day came, and they called me, and I wasn't ready. I I thought, my name is not next. I thought I would have a couple more weeks before they called me, but they called me. Well, good thing I'm a storyteller. So I didn't have a, a speech. I put a piece of paper up on the the podium there and acted like I was reading it and started giving a speech. I was just telling the story. But I remember to, the, to this day what I said. I started telling the story of my friend Hal. I said I had a friend, Hal, when we grew up in, on the mean streets of Memphis in a rough neighborhood, and he had this motorcycle. He liked to drive fast. And uh, one time he was going down Airways Boulevard at a little bit over 100 miles an hour. And the, and the police didn't take too kindly to that for some reason. And so they began to chase Hal. And Hal said, I can outrun them. This thing will do 140, 160 miles an hour. So he was, he was hitting those heels, buddy, on Airways. The only thing he didn't know is that a radio was faster than a motorcycle. And so they called ahead. And pretty soon, the entire police force of White Haven is after Hal... My friend, I ain't going to say his last name. Hal, my friend. He's riding all up and down. I mean, he's, he's giving them the chase of their life. They finally got him up on the sidewalk and hemmed him in, and he's going down the sidewalk about 60, 70 miles an hour. Another police cruiser pulls up and opens the door. He hits the door, flies off the door, skids across the grass for about 30 feet. They run, jump on him, subdue him, put him in the back of the police car. And I'm telling this story, you know, in in this college class. But you have to understand, back then, I was kind of on the other side of the law. To me, the, the police were someone to run from, someone to hide from, someone I didn't like, didn't particularly care for. They were the enemy in my estimation because I was on the wrong side of the law. And so I began to tell this story with a slant. I began to give my speech with a slant. And I remember how I ended it. I said, how's mama? You know, he kept the cops going for so long that somebody was able to go to his mama's house and say, your son's running from the law. She she actually got there just after they had arrested him and put him in the back of the patrol car. And I'll never forget what she says when she jumped out of the car. She said... You wouldn't have never caught him if he'd have had third gear and a back (laughs) brake. So you can see where our lawlessness came from. (laughs) She did. That's what she said to the police. But I told that story, and then I, I went on to say how the police shouldn't have knocked him off his motorcycle, how the police shouldn't have roughed him up, and all these things, put him in the back of the car. It was wrong, you know, and... And I thought I would garner support. All these young people would be on my side. Well, I guess most of these young people in this college class weren't from Whitehaven or something. I don't know. But they began to argue on behalf of the police. They're saying, well, he was against the law. He was doing wrong. They should have arrested him. He could have hurt somebody. They started talking logic to me that I had never before thought about. And I was upset. I said, okay, my speech is over. I went and sat down. But that was my worldview at that point in my life. Does that make sense? God would have looked down and said, Father, forgive him. He don't know what he's doing. And that's what's happening in the world today. People have a certain worldview. I thought about it. What if I went to the war-torn country of Syria today? It's just a shell of a country left. The civil war has decimated the place. Hundreds of thousands of people killed. Armies from different countries all in there fighting each other. But if I were to walk through Syria today, I would feel the oppression of the Islamic lie, how they treat women, the lack of freedom, the black burkas, the, the instinct to kill and to want to war. I would, I would see Syria through a, an Americanized lens. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It would be repulsive to me. I would, I would much rather be back in America than feeling what they're used to over there. That's their lens. But we wonder why when they come over here to escape persecution, they want to change this freedom-loving nation into the nation that they just escaped from. Because they don't know any better. Their worldview hasn't changed. They still see life the way they grew up. They have a different worldview. Am I getting anywhere with this? And I'm going to say something that might upset some of you guys' theology. You ready? I said, maybe. The American dream is not God's worldview. There are some good parts of the American dream. Seeing how much money you can garner and how many toys and the biggest house that you can get so that you can build bigger barns and spend the last few years of your life living large. That is not God's worldview. That's the American worldview. And we have to be careful as Christians not to, be, not to let our worldview become an idol in our lives. When you said yes to Christ, you said yes to his kingdom. Know you not that the kingdom of God is within you, not the kingdom of America. You were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Therefore, our worldview must shift from where it was into what God says it must be. Amen? Amen? I love America. It's, to me, the greatest nation ever formed. One nation under God. But as great as it is, I do not base my worldview on Uncle Sam. Amos 9-7, God asks, are you, are you Israelites more important to me than the Ethiopians? Well, the Israelites would have said, Yeah, we're your chosen people. We're Jews. They're just Gentiles. We don't even mix with them. Yes, we're more important. We're more important to you, surely. What they didn't realize is they were God's chosen people, but they were just chosen to be an example to the rest of the world. And most of the time, they were chosen to be an example of what not to do. Does God love the Israelites more than he loves the Ethiopians? It goes on to say, I brought Israel out of Egypt. Yeah, I delivered you. But I also brought the Philistines out of Crete and led the Armenians out of Kerr. God's doing great work all over the world, even back then. God so loved the world. It wasn't just the Israelites. God so loves the world today. It's not just the Americans. I'm trying to expand your worldview. I'm trying to get you to see from God's perspective. You see, God, to, to God, the earth is just his footstool. But he loves the whole thing. We all see life through filters. On that camera over there, he might probably have filters he can put on it or, or different lenses. And the way we view life is through our experiences. They they taint the way we see uh, it, the things that we learned growing up the hurts that we have experienced cause us to see things differently have you wondered why some people are so shy to do something that seems so easy to you I'm scared of dogs well I'm not scared of dogs Listen, you, you go pet them but you weren't bit as a child like this person over here you have a different worldview about dogs through your past experiences and hurts. And let's just put it like it is today. We see the world through how we've been indoctrinated by the media, indoctrinated by the politicians. Our children are growing up and going to schools that are teaching them that America is the ill. America is the problem in the world. Not the great source and beacon of freedom that we know we are. Where would, America, where would the world be without the Christians in America? But that's not what's being taught in our schools. We are indoctrinating our children to hate our very own country. It's a worldview. Some of our worldviews are strongly influenced by our race, our culture from which we came. Uh, Our politics today is is tainting, uh, strongly influencing our worldviews. It could be something as simple as the denomination of church that you go to. They got a different worldview than this denomination. Our gender, people's... hold on to something that becomes strong to them. Well, that's why you have women's lib and feminists and all these things because gender is important to them and they filter everything they see through their gender. Oh my goodness, what about sexual preference these days? Have you ever ever seen a, a gay person... Not saying that I'm a gay American, I'm a gay this, I'm a gay. They identify by their sexual preference. It influences everything that they see around them. They see it through this lens of I'm gay. So I'm here today to ask you what are you first? What is your worldview? What is the most influential thing that causes you to see life the way you do? What is your basis of truth from which you make your decisions every day? What is your ultimate reality? Am I going over your head today? This is pretty deep for me. I only had a couple years of college. After that speech class. (laughs) Look. The devil is espousing a worldview. Boy, he wants to lead us into confusion. That's his worldview, to have us so confused, we don't know which way is up. In Isaiah 5.20, it says, What sorrow for those who say evil is good and good is evil. Whose worldview is that? The devil. He's wicked, he's twisted, he takes the truth and he twists it in 180 degrees. So that people are saying good things are evil and evil things are good. It goes on to say that dark is light, light is dark and bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. We're so confused as a nation, we can't have a conversation because we're coming from two polar opposite positions in Everything. And when you're calling good, evil, and evil, good, and you think you're right, you don't even want to listen to anybody else's opinion anyway. You don't want to be taught better. And it's, it's not just this generation. You know, way back in the 80s and 90s, a guy named Dr. Benjamin Spock put out a, a book telling us how to raise our children. Many people left the biblical way of leading, growing up your children to follow Dr. Benjamin Spock, who said that spanking is a form of violence and teaching violence to our children. So we stopped spanking our children. But the Bible says, Spare the rod, you spoil the child. And what do we have now? We have a generation. We've reaped a generation who has spoiled brats. Is it true? They are the most blessed generation that has ever lived on the face of the earth, living in the most free country, in a country where they can be anything that they set their mind to be. With nice people all around, helping you succeed, but yet they are bitter and angry and unthankful, spoiled little rotten brats. It's a shame. Complainers, they're, they're ready to complain their way back out of the promised land. And that's what they're doing. I can tell you right now, every superpower that's ever rose to power in, in the world, the, the Babylonian Empire, the Roman Empire, all of those who, who had it good, they got soft. They got spoiled. Even the Israelites, when they went into that promised land and they lived in houses they didn't build and and drank from wells that they didn't dig and had all of God's blessing, it didn't take long for them to get spoiled and be unthankful to God for what was given them. And those nations crumble. And we're seeing the results here in America of all these years of indoctrination to hate our own country and to be unthankful for what God has provided for us. We throw up houses on sand and we wonder why the United States seems to be adrift at sea. Turn to James chapter 1. I'm going to wrong way. James chapter 1. Take a right turn after Hebrews. All right. Verse 5. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. All you need to do is ask. He wants you to have it. How many of you ask God for wisdom? How many of you want to know how to do your finances? Want to know what job to take? Want to know how to raise your children? Do you ask God? He's generous and he wants to give it to you. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't ask God and then go to the horoscope and see which one you like best. (laughs) Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea and is blown and tossed about by the wind. I was out on the sea a couple weeks ago. Man, it's a vast place. Just imagine you being out there by yourself. Blown and tossed by every wave. Who put this way back here? Here. You hold on to that, you're going to need it. Hold on to that. Because if you're not following godly wisdom in a godly worldview, we're all going to need one of those. And it's going to do you about as much good as that would out in the open ocean. Tossed about. America is being tossed about by every wind and wave because nobody is espousing a biblical worldview anymore. Such people, it says in verse 7, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, they are unstable. In everything they do. In Colossians 2.8, it says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Say high-sounding nonsense. Turn on the TV and get you another dose of high-sounding nonsense. Get you some vain philosophies to go with it. These people are about, let me not get into that. It's just high sounding nonsense. We'll leave it there. Empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world. It's not talking about godly spiritual. It's talking about dark spiritual forces of this world rather than from Christ. They're not listening to God. They're listening to the Ouija boards. They're listening to the nonsense being taught in our schools. As a church, if our worldview is diluted, we provide an unclear and a confusing message for the witness of Jesus Christ. We wonder why nobody wants to come to our church because we mince words. We blend in with the world. And we're not espousing and we're not living our biblical worldview. We, the kingdom of God is within us, but we're not living according to that kingdom. We don't even want to listen to that kingdom. We want to make up our own realities. In Matthew four seventeen, it says, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent! There's a new kingdom here now. Repent means turn from one and turn to another. Before you didn't know any better. You sided with Hal in the past. But turn from that lawless thinking and turn to the kingdom of heaven. And receive the wisdom that comes down from God. And is written down in a book on your coffee table. Called the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Turn to the kingdom of God. And live according to this new kingdom that you're called to be an ambassador to. Turn from the false worldview to the biblical worldview. Say kingdom-minded. What is God's kingdom? You say, I'm not understanding what you're talking about, kingdom, kingdom. I'm not there now, I'm still in America. Positionally, you've been translated out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is the realm over which he reigns. And if you give him your heart, he's supposed to reign over your heart. And it becomes part of the kingdom of God. Spiritual, physical, heaven and earth. And the Bible is the constitution of heaven. It's the constitution in which we swore allegiance now. To the word of God. His name is Jesus. We swore allegiance to him. You are Lord. Be the Lord of my life. Let your kingdom come into my heart. Your will be done. In heaven as it is. In earth. Or in earth as it is in heaven. This... this Next thing I'm going to say upsets me greatly. It says a recent Barna study: only four percent of Americans say they have a biblical worldview. Four percent, and we we have a nation in which probably well over fifty percent say that they're Christians. They say they're Christians, but only 4% have a biblical worldview. They filter everything through the truth of God's Word. Only 4%. That means many of you in here today just make up your own worldview. You don't put the Bible, the, 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 the strain when which you filter all your thoughts. You've made up your own rules. What about... It's no wonder the American church is so convoluted and ineffective in our society. We don't even believe what we say we believe. Boy, we say amen in church. But it's like we're play acting. Do we really believe In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He's talking about you've been made a new creation and such, and it says that we're now ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors. An ambassador is someone sent to another country who's, who's living in that country, but not from that country. He's there to represent another kingdom. And now you are here in America to represent Jesus Christ to America. You are you are first and foremost citizens of heaven. Supposed to be. And so what's flowing through our veins? Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. What's flowing through the vine is supposed to be what's coming through us. We're supposed to be saying the same things He says. Just like He said, I say the same things my Father says. We're supposed to be thinking like He thinks. What comes through us, is for, through Him, is supposed to go to us. Have you ever seen a, an aspen grove? I know this is a departure, but... A grove of aspen trees. They just look like a a forest. Just, you know, a bunch of trees. But the thing about aspens, it's not individual trees. All of those trees are connected to the same root system. They're just little shoots coming up looking like individual trees. But down below, they are all connected to one root. And that, my friends, is what God wants from His church. To be one in Christ. We have our individual uh, shoots that come up in the natural. But down below, we are all in harmony. All partaking of the same roots system. And if we don't, then we have no no chance to change our society. If we don't come together and say the same thing. And not be ashamed of it. Our kingdom worldview brings the unity that this world craves. We have the words of eternal life. Galatians 3.28 says, There's no longer Jew nor Gentile. He's talking about in Christ. He's broken down the wall of separation between the races and nationalities. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Not even male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Say kingdom. Did you know that's what you were entering into when you made Jesus Lord? It's a beautiful picture. You're one with Christ. He says that they may be one as you and I are one, Father. And they may know that you love them as much as you love me. That's God's intention for this world. Philippians 2.2, 2, Apostle Paul. And I feel the same way. I understand where he's coming from. He says, then make me truly happy. He's talking to the church. How does the church make Paul truly happy? By agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. By loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Putting all our gifts and talents together. We're not going to agree on everything like masks. But that doesn't stop us from loving one another and agreeing wholeheartedly at our vision and coming together and compromising and loving one another to get the job done. Because we're all of the same root. The devil tried to change Jesus' worldview. Came to him to tempt him those three times. But Jesus kept saying, it is written. Devil, I hear what you're trying to twist, but I know what is written. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus didn't see the kingdoms of the world like the devil wanted him to. He said, get behind me, Satan. We're not going with your worldview. It is written. Man shall live by every word of the mouth of God. Y'all are looking at me so funny. Maybe I just can't see your (laughs) mouth. Jesus kept his eyes on the prize. Last week we talked about Hebrews 2, about how we're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus. What did Jesus keep his eyes on? He said, for the joy set before me, he endured the cross. How are you going to get through your heartaches? How are you going to get through your trials? How are we going to get through this end times craziness? We're keeping our eyes on the prize. We're looking past the here and now to the there and then. And knowing the reality of the kingdom of God is going to stabilize us. We're going to be standing on the rock when it's all done when the house next door has crumbled into the sand, we're going to be standing because we're keeping our eyes on the prize because we espouse a biblical worldview. We know the truth. I look through the lens of the Bible for my truth. I look through the blood of Jesus for my salvation. And this church, we look through the lens of God's calling before we take any action, what did God call us to do? Does it okay, does the, this idea line up with where God has us going? We're looking through a biblical lens, through God's plan, God's purposes for us. You know the woman at the well in John chapter four we've talked about so often, you know what she wanted to do? She wanted to argue worldviews. That's basically what it came down to. I'm a Samaritan. We believe this. Y'all are Jews. Y'all worship over there. na 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 nah, nah. Worldviews. She's talking worldviews. And Jesus said this in John 4.23. He said, but the time is coming. And indeed, it is here now when true worshipers. Do you want to be a true worshiper? The time is coming and it is now that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You must have both. You've got to know the truth. The truth is what sets you free. And true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. He's looking for those who will believe him. He's not pleased unless you have faith in the truth. America is an exceptional nation, has been. I got nothing bad to say about it, really, as far as other nations compared to other nations of the world. I love America. But America is only exceptional to the point that we're still founded on a biblical worldview. And if we're down to 4%, we're in trouble. Are you listening? Maybe if we all came to the idea that he's right, I need to stop making up my own reality. I need to start reading the Word of God. I need to start filtering my decisions through the Word of God. Maybe just in this room alone we could make it to 5%. I know it's easier to go to a buffet and pick and choose, but the Word of God is not a buffet. It is what it is. It said what it meant. If you're of the kingdom of God, it is your constitution in which you live by. It is your world view. It must be. Either the Bible is the absolute truth, or our world view is no more important than the Scientologist. Or the people who think they're wearing magic underwear. When that commander of the Lord's armies came to Joshua, what did it say he had in his hand? A sword. And a sword is an analogy for the Word of God. Jesus came with a sword. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the Word of God is living, and it is powerful, and it is sharper than any other two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of, of soul and spirit. And of the joints and the marrow. It is the discerner of your thoughts. And the intents of your heart. It is powerful. And there's no creature. No creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him. To whom we must give an account. You will be judged according to your worldview. You'll be judged according to what you did. This right here. But I got good news for you. I love my biblical worldview. My biblical worldview says my Savior came down here and spilt his blood. He loved me so much. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth in him shall have eternal life. I believe that my eternal life is found in the pages of the Bible. And I believe my Lord and Jesus is the Word of God. And they can't be separated. And I believe my biblical worldview gives me that foundation on which I stand. I know in whom I have believed. I love my biblical worldview. You say, I look back in the Old Testament and it scares me. Things were harsh. There were death penalties. People were wiped out. These things. The Old Testament shows us the reality of what we deserve. The true judgment that we deserve, which makes it all the more beautiful when you see Jesus taking that punishment for us so that we can be in the age of grace. And the grace becomes so sweet and dripping into our lives that we're so overjoyed that we can't stand to not tell somebody this good news. And we begin to be vessels of honor unto God as we go forth and espouse this biblical worldview to a hurting and a dying generation. We let them know that Jesus is Lord. The word of God is true. And that we are from another place and we want you to go there with us not to hell. We love people because God first loved us. We didn't know what love was till we had a biblical worldview of who love is. Oh my goodness. I could be here all day telling you how much I love my biblical worldview. You're not taking it from me. I won't be quiet about it.